Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. I'm Garth Haslam. In this episode, I'm interviewing Devin Westover. Devin is a, is a good man. He's got all of his man card stuff figured out. The man's a mechanic. He can do stuff in his sleep on uh, cars and trucks that I wouldn't even try. He draws a good salary. He's got a great house. He's got the family. And again, you know, like, like uh, pretty much everybody else that I run into and interview, on the surface, it would appear that he's got it all figured out. Yet he, like me and like so many of the rest of us, has had uh, his moment flirting with suicide. He has his demons. He has his darkness. And you'll see that. And you'll, you'll see how he deals with that and how he manages that and how he becomes who he wants to become. It's a good interview. Here we go. Give me the big picture. Why are you here? Seeing your TikTok, seeing your Instagram and everything, it's like it was a Sunday night. I was scrolling through TikTok. I was scrolling through Instagram, and I saw one of your posts. I was like, I'm going to listen to it. Let's see what this has to do, or let's see what he has to say. Uh-huh. And so I listened to it, and <clears throat> it it intrigued me. Like, okay. And so I listened to another one, and it, it intrigued me. And I've always been the guy that's – I never let what I need to say out. Yeah. And in your podcast, it's always trash compactor. Uh-huh. And that's the, that's the best form of explaining anything that I can get to is, yeah, I'm, I am a trash compactor. We, you get something in and you're like, ah, I need to tell it to the world. I need to let someone know. It's like, who, who, yeah. who do I let know? Uh-huh. Why do I let them know? And when you call that person to let them know, you usually get this blank stare or blank noise on the end of the line. That's like, cool, dude. Why are you calling me? I don't understand <laughs> what you're doing. Yeah. And so you're like, right. You're right. I'm just going to push that down and push that down. But eventually a trash compactor says, hey, I need to empty the bag. Uh-huh. And then that comes out in a lashing or yeah what what uh, how does it how has it come out recently for you uh it's it's agitated it's it's the bag bursting out the sides it's all of it coming out as once mm-hmm. to yourself it feels I'm, I'm free i let it all out uh-huh but a day two days three days a week down the line you're like I have to put a bandaid over those those sores that I just caused on all these other people because it's not necessarily lashing out at the people that you are angry with. Right. It's just who's there. You're going to yell at whoever's there for stuff that they didn't even do. Right. Type of thing. They're safe. They're Yeah. They're the people you know you can lash out at that aren't going to judge you in a week. Uh-huh. They're going to brush it off their shoulders and they're going to be like, yeah, dude, I'm sorry. Like, so, so when when you do that uh, that lashing out, I'm sure it's it's mm-hmm. with whoever. Sometimes your wife, sometimes coworkers. Um, a lot of coworkers. It's okay. It's a it's a stressful business. I mean, uh huh. What do you do? I'm a mechanic. I've been a mechanic for going on 16 years now. Okay. And five and a half years ago, I made the decision. Me and my wife were married. We were struggling to pay bills. We were struggling to pay everything about to lose it all. And it's like, Hey, I have this opportunity to go work. I worked at a fleet shop at the time was doing great. Loved what I did, but I didn't make the money to put the food on the table. Right. And I had this opportunity to go over to a dealership and make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And I was stressed about it. I was worried about it. And I decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go work at this dealership and we're going to. Why were you stressed about it? Just 
it's a self-confidence thing. Mm-hmm. You don't know. So I was paid by the hour for my first 10 years in mechanic. You were there 80 hours. You made 80 hours. And then at the dealership, it's a, it's a piece rate. Right. So if you're there 80 hours, but you only do 40 hours worth of work, you're getting paid for 40. Ouch. And it's a, it's a confidence thing. I don't know if I can make it. I maybe we ought to, we ought to reevaluate what we're doing here. Uh-huh. And so I sold my truck. I had a nice truck. I sold it, bought a cheaper truck. We really tightened our belt up and I decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to go try it. If it works out, it works out. If it uh-huh. doesn't work out, we're in no worse of a situation than we are now. So I try it. I worked there a week with how the pay half landed. And my first check for five days worth of work was bigger than my biggest paycheck for two weeks worth of work I've ever made in the 10 years before. And I was like, I think we're going to make it. I think we can do this. Yep. And then you work forward to that, you know, fast forward, and then it becomes an addiction. Uh-huh. Okay. I made... I made this amount of money this two weeks. Next week, I can make even more, and then you can make even more. And then it works towards you You live there. You live at the job. You, you're you always striving to get that extra hour, that extra hour, that extra hour. Uh-huh. And, and what suffers? Yeah, the family suffers. You're not home. Uh-huh. You know, and that's what I was dealing with when I worked my first 10 years in the fleet shop. I, was, I wasn't home. I wasn't being with the wife. I wasn't doing anything. We didn't have kids at the time, but you know, I'd, I'd go, I'd show up to work at five thirty in the morning, and I wouldn't get off till five thirty, six o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And you're coming home, and it's just trying to fulfill that man card, right? And this yeah. is what I need to do. This is what I got to do to put food on the table and make sure she's happy. Make sure she's driving the car she wants. We have the house we want, right? And then flash forward to this year when we have a kid, you putting food on the table, having the house you want, having the car you want, doesn't do anything if you're not spending the time with your son. Yeah, you're coming home. I can see the scenario because it's happened to every other man in the universe too. You've been killing yourself. You're making some money. You're doing 12-hour days. You come home. She's pissed at you because, uh, you know, last time she had five minutes with you was last February. Yep. And so she's not happy and you're going, I just spent this entire day working for you and here you are not happy. So there will be damage. Yeah. I'm I'm sure that moment's happened once or twice. It's happened a bunch of times. It's, and especially with now that we have a baby at home, Mm -hmm. I'll put in the extra hour at work to make that extra $40 on the paycheck. Uh Uh-huh. And then I show up to the house at seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. Right. Baby's bedtime's eight thirty. So I only get to spend a half hour with the kid to give her a little bit of half hour of relief from taking care of the baby. Right. And not only does it take away from me, it takes away from her. She needs her time just as much as I need my time. But together we need our family time. We yeah. need to grow our family together. And she needs to not feel like it's a whole, it's all on her, but it needs to be on us. Yeah. It can be one of those things where, you know, she's alone, you're gone. She's got money. Mm -hmm. She's lonely. Yep. She's lonely. For that matter, so are you. I am. And we had our baby in March, March, March 23rd of this of 22. We had our baby. This is spent 10 days in the NICU. I, I took off five days. I had five days off that I decided I'm going to spread them out to make it last throughout uh-huh. the whole time he was in the NICU. Whether We didn't know how long he was going to be in the NICU. It could have been 10 days. It could have been 20, 40, 30, however long until he came up. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and it's a, it's a surreal feeling. We had a hard time getting our kid. So with miscarriages in the past Uh and that strains on both of us. Right. And what did that feel like? It was rough. It's definitely, it's definitely like your heart got ripped out of your chest. You feel the, 
you get to go to the doctor's appointments, you hear his heartbeat, and then you go back a week later, and there's no heartbeat. And the next thing you know, you're you're taking your wife in for a surgery, a DNC to get the corpse. Yeah, whatever removed. Uh huh. And it doesn't end when the corpse is removed. It's it's a process. I mean, mentally, emotionally, everything. You're you go in with a baby. You go into the DNC with the the baby still inside your wife, and you come out with nothing. And you, the only thing as a man you can do is sit in the waiting room and wait till they're done. You're not in there helping them. You're not doing anything. And you get to go, you drive your wife home and you try to comfort her the best you can. But at the end, it's, it's a rough feeling. And I don't even know how to describe the feelings that you get behind it. I love that you said you, it feels like you get your heart ripped out from under you. Yeah. Um, who did she go to for support? Her mom's. Her mom is, I would say, both of our biggest supporters. And who did you go to? I didn't have anyone to go to. I honestly, until recently, probably within the past two years, I didn't really know anyone to reach out. And you can't, you don't, you don't know who to reach out as a man. You don't know. And they're always there. The guys that are there for you are always there. But until you realize it in your own mind that, hey, this guy's there for me, you don't realize they're actually there for you. And and you said when sometimes when you do, if you don't prep them, uh, they're like weirded out. Yeah. Corey, um, <clears throat> I'm sure you know this. He had a, a friend that owned Ready Gunner. Mm -hmm. Did you hear about that story? I did not. Uh, owned. That's that's part of the story. Um, Ex-military, ready gunner was doing really well. I went in and bought. I bought a lot of you know rifles. I got my AR there. I bought a lot of uh, a lot of rounds of a lot of things, and so did everybody else. He was doing okay financially. About a month ago, he hung himself uh, down in Lake Powell, and Corey, of course. That's not the first time that somebody in his life has committed suicide. It's like number 14. Um, and so Corey was, um, he, he went through the process again. But, it, but he said something this time that I thought was interesting. He said, if he would have just come to me, I would have been there for him. All he had to do was make a phone call or whatever. I would have been there. I was there. And... You know, that's true. There's a but. Um, I guess half of the equation is, is for is for us guys to become the dude that somebody could talk to. Mm. The other half is to be willing to do it. Right. Both of those are really hard in my book. Uh, who did you try to go to? You know, I didn't – at that point in time, I didn't really reach out to anyone. I was, mm -hmm. I was just a compactor. I put it in and you put it in, shoved it in, shoved, shoved it, it down, in, and I didn't try to talk to anyone. And I didn't feel like I could talk to one. I had one. I did have one friend. Me and him have been friends since eighth grade. Eighth grade, oh. and we just we have a level to where we understand each other, mm -hmm. but we don't have that level to where you can come to me and I can come to you. Right. Which is, it's sad to a point. I, he's a guy that I would absolutely go to in a heartbeat. Uh huh. And I expect him to absolutely come to me in a heartbeat. And then you get down the road and you feel like, or you find out he's had problems in the past and he didn't come to you. So you have to think as a man as yourself, is that something that you did personally? That you didn't leave that on the table that, hey, if you ever need anything, you can come to me. And if I ever need anything, I need to know I can come to you. Yeah. And then you don't lay that and you just don't talk about that. You don't come out. You don't mm. tell each other that. And it's one of those things that you just have to – you bury in. 
And uh, where I would go if I was on, if I was in those shoes, what my demons would tell me, and I would listen to it as well. He had that issue. He didn't come to me. So he's not as good a friend as I thought he was. So then I would distance myself from him. Yep. And he's, he's one of those guys that he's a distancer. He, if he has a problem, he distances, distances himself and you won't hear from him for weeks, months on end. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that lived with us. Right. He lived in my basement for almost two years. And you'd come home and he'd be sitting at the kitchen table drinking a beer and would never say more than five words all night until he finally said, well, it's time for bed and walk downstairs. And it's like, what's going on? And you try to pry it out. Nothing. Just tired. Yeah. And and even as a on both ends of the spectrum as a man, you that's stuff you need to look out for. You need to protect yourself, but you always need to protect those around you. Well, and that's uh, that's part of the problem. Is for example, um, you know what I find is there's a lot of women that listen to these podcasts, mm-hmm. and every one of them is screaming, "Why don't you just talk to your wife?" And, and you and I can both answer that question, but what's your answer? I, I've i learned that my wife is my biggest supporter. Uh-huh. I can go to her with anything, and no matter what, she is on my side. Uh-huh. And I have, and it's been more, more recently, recently since the birth of our child and the the miscarriages and everything we've gone through together in the past Three out of the six years we've been married, uh-huh. we're more together in the past year than we have been so total. And it's it's an amazing thing. And I encourage everyone to – That brought you together. Brought you, yeah. Oh. I encourage everyone to talk to your wife. Bring her into the situation. And if you're there, then you're the uh... – Definitely the minority because, it, for example, if it's a uh, if, there, if there's a DNC that happens with the rest of us, mm-hmm. she's suffering. You're not going to add to her plate. You're not going to want to talk to her about that when she is visibly not thinking about it. Yeah. You're not going to dump on her. That's that's the way most of us think. And going to that on that thought. So I think it was our first or second DNC we had. And I I was completely blind to it. She had it. She was at home recovering. I spent, I took her to the hospital. We did the process, went home. The next day I went to an off-road convention, spent all day away. And... She didn't come to me and say, well, why did you do that? Like, that made me feel broken. I'm not wanted. I'm broken inside. I can't have your children, everything like that. And I was just totally like, I'm just in my zone. I'm trying to do what I want to do. And the next day I flew out to Vegas for three days for a work trip. And on that just adds insult to injury. Uh-huh. You're on top of it and everything away. And it it took her probably six months to come out and say, hey, that hurt. I felt abandoned. Yeah. And when they come out and say it, you're like, at that point in time in the zone, you don't realize what you're doing. You're just trying to go out and clear your mind, do everything. You don't want to sit at home and think about it. You want to go out as a man, you want to go out and clear your mind, do what you need to do uh-huh. and fulfill yourself. Yeah. Not even knowing that, what you're out doing is hurting what you're doing at home. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you know, hurting her by trying to heal yourself. Yeah. Focusing so much on, on yourself. Um, yeah, that's rugged. I, uh, one of my favorite interviews was Jojo, um, Hanks. She's got cancer. And, uh, the conversation that happened when I interviewed both of them, she was, uh, you know, she obviously she's got the cancer. He's the one caretaking and again, sometimes caretaking of her is killing him. And, you know, and he's got issues emotional. He's she's got issues physical. 
he doesn't feel like he can dump his emotional issues on her because she's got cancer. Mm-hmm. But the way she interprets that is you're isol- you're you're keeping me out. Let me in. And I think this is the same kind of thing. You know, you were dealing with your own emotional stuff, and at the same time, she felt isolated, mm-hmm. alone, abandoned. Abandoned is a brutal word. My it goodness, is. it is. But in my mind, that's how. I f- to me, that's how I made her feel was abandoned. Uh huh. And. It's been a long process. Like I said, her mom's always the solid rock. And she calls, my wife calls, her mom's there uh-huh. all day, every day. That's her best friend. And my wife's mom is by far the one of the best people on the planet I've ever met, uh-huh. especially for my wife. And it's like, it's hard to find a woman that says, who's your best friend? And she'll look at you and say, my mom. It wasn't all stars and stripes when me and my wife got together either. Uh-huh. We had a bunch of rough years. Right. But an open mind and an open heart will bring you both together. It's it's her mom's way of her outlook on life that uh-huh. makes her who she is. And she has to be one of the most amazing people I've ever I've ever met. It's it, it's her Outlook, probably her experiences, her dark times that make her who she is. Yeah. And if you look at me and you, you're, if you look at who you are now versus who you are 20 years ago, Uh you might not have liked who you were 20 years ago. But those experiences from that day have made you who you are today. And same thing with me. I had a rough, my 20s were extremely rough. Uh-huh. Extremely dark. Let's talk about some of that dark. So for me, I've learned how to have a spine. Maybe. Maybe it's just because Julie allows me to have a spine. Right. I don't know. But uh let's talk talk about uh your darkness. Uh pick one of your dark days and tell me a story. So we're gonna take it back to you know, let's just start at the beginning. Okay. Uh Growing up, 12 plus junior high, high school years, mm-hmm. I had, my parents were, they were pretty awesome to me. I had a, a pretty rough past with my dad. We, he, I can count on one hand the amount of times my dad has said, hey, I love you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's rough. You don't, you don't know how much you need to hear that from someone you love. Mm-hmm. But you need that reassurance. You know that you know they love you, but if they don't say it, sometimes it doesn't work. And my parents had a rough time growing up while well, I was growing up, starting probably thirteen till I was in a senior in high school. Uh-huh. You know, they were constantly fighting. They were together, they were broken up, they were together, they were broken up, and to the point where me and my mom moved out and I was portrayed as my dad's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he traveled a lot, which probably had a lot to do with it. And, but to him, in his defense, he was traveling to provide for the family, to earn a nickel, to earn the nickel, you know. And there was times he was gone for six weeks at a time. He was, he did natural disasters estimates for an insurance company, and he would be gone for, you know, six weeks at a time, and you wouldn't see him. And then, you know, mom gets lonely or whatever. And then he comes home and they fight. And then I was the only one at the house at the time. My brothers have gone to college or moved out and everything. And I'm the only one home. So I see the fight. I remember right. one night I was in the room. We had La Frontera. It was a weekly ritual. We always had La Frontera. Julie loves La Frontera as well. Yeah. And <clears throat> I came, I was like, grabbed my food. I went in my room and I was watching TV, whatever. And, I hear them yelling at each other for whatever reason. I don't even know what the reason was. Doesn't even matter. And I hear them yelling. I hear something slam. And then I hear another slam. So I walk out in the kitchen to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. My dad's sitting against the wall in our with a corner bench dining room table. And he's got half his face covered in rice and beans and the other half covered in smothered burrito. <laughs> and she opened up her food and threw it at him across the room. And she was gone. She was nowhere to be found. 
and you just go in you're like what is going on today and it's not a it, it weighs on you uh-huh and then further down the race relationship status when you get to be a high schooler and you start having your first girlfriend and everything it's you think about that stuff and what were you telling yourself that day when um when your dad had all that food on his face your mom left uh as the adult you know it had nothing to do with you as the teenager what were what did you tell yourself about you it was a so i'll tell you the actions i did it was a really loud swear word Uh uh-huh and a hole in the wall Uh uh-huh and i punched a hole in the wall Yelled at the top of my lungs, and then I went to bed. I, okay. I sat my night in the room, or sat the whole night in the room and just thought about it. I was pissed. I was, the whole time growing up, my parents never had affection. They just they didn't show it to it. I remember one time I was probably 10 years old. Actually, I was 12. They were dancing in our front room and hanging out, and I just I didn't accept it. They, this is something they've never done before. I don't accept it. And I actually threw a fit at 12 years old. I threw a fit uh-huh. and pushed him away. said, you guys can't love each other. And then I went to bed through a fit <laughs> because it, it wasn't something I was used to seeing. Right. You know, you, you don't, when I was growing up, I didn't see my parents love each other like that. And even as an adult life, I, you still don't see them. They're together, but you don't see the affection to them. Right. And it hurts as a as an adult coming through i bought my first house with my high school sweetheart uh-huh and we lived together for a bunch two three years probably two years and then we had a breakup and that's when i call them the dark 20s that's when my dark 20s happened and i can't even say i blame her i can't blame myself i don't know if i i obviously blame myself cuz Nobody else. Yeah, I initiated the breakup, but we were, it was August of 2010. I love charities. That's what I do. I love giving my time to help someone else in need. That's Uh what I do. August 2010, we did, it's called the Gift of Life Ride. You ride from Grantsville to the Windover, ATV, side-by-side, motorcycle, whatever you can, to raise money for the Gift of Life. Uh Uh-huh. We went out there and it was two, three days. I think I was 21 at the time. I might have been 22. And we just had a ball. We rode all the way. It's a hundred. It was 110 miles total on a four-wheeler. You had a blast. Go out, party all night. And then some people ride back. The rest of us brought trailers back. Brought trailers out, loaded our bikes up, and drove back. We were heading back from... Wind over to Salt Lake, and we're in the right lane just cruising. We're doing about 80, 85 miles an hour. And this truck, Ford Ranger, never get a dark blue, flies past us on the left. And he clears us by maybe 30 feet. His right rear tire blows. And we start laughing. I mean, there's four of us in the truck. We're laughing. I'm like, what an idiot. Dude, slow down. Blue tire. And then he starts fishtailing. He goes in the median, starts rolling. Now, all you see is dust everywhere. And then out of the dust, I remember for family, you see his body goes flying probably 30 feet in the air. And so we're pulling over. He lands, truck lands on income or the westbound lanes, his body slides, whatever. We we pull over the shoulder. And I remember my buddy in the back seat yelling, truck, truck, truck. So I slam my door open. I lean back and look back at him. I was like, what? And the semi passes. Well, if I wouldn't have leaned back and looked at him and said, what were you saying? I would have jumped. I would have darted. I get it. I wasn't worried about looking for traffic. I was worried about getting to Westmount traffic. Right. And I stopped, looked at him, ran, and truck went by, cleared traffic, went across. And the guy that got ejected was standing up trying to push his truck over. <laughs> and... He's yelling. He's like, I got to get to Salt Lake. I got to get to Salt Lake. I got to get to Salt Lake. And it's it's like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, lay down. He had almost a two-inch hole in his head from where his head hit the concrete, and he slid that oh. hole. And I took my shirt off. 
threw it on his head, laid him down. We grabbed uh, more clothes out of the truck to support his head. And the guy that was in front of him that saw the wreck flipped around was actually an emergency room nurse. And we were able to care for this guy, flew away in a helicopter, and we never knew. That they wouldn't tell us his name. They wouldn't tell him where he was going, anything. We had no clue whether this guy ever lived or died. It was three or four years later. I was heading to Wendover. It was after the breakup, everything. I was dating a new girl. We were going to Hot, hot August Nights, a big car show out in Wendover. And this cruise, and I start telling the story to this girl, and she starts crying. She's bawling. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what are you, like, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? She's like, that was my boyfriend at the time. I broke up. With, he lives in Reno. I broke up with him. He was on his way to Salt Lake to try to save or try to patch things up. And he got in a car accident. And then we just pulled, pulled over and saw it. I never knew if this dude lived. I never knew if he died. I didn't know anything about him. And that weekend I got to, I got to meet him. I got to meet the dude and he was a little cold shoulder because I was dating his ex-girlfriend type thing, but <laughs> his family was really, really, uh, really supportive. And they were happy to meet me and, you know, they bought us drinks all night and everything, but it was, it was one of those moments where you don't know. And transpiring from that one incident is I didn't sleep for weeks. I, uh, I sat there and thought about it. Like, this dude I ever lived, did he, did he pass on? What happened to him? And you carry it inside. You don't, you know, you try to tell people about it. They're like, Oh, that's crazy. You saw this wreck. And it's like, you know, you don't understand. Like I literally saw this dude's brain and held it in with my t-shirt and it holds on to you. And I, I can blame, I don't, I can't blame a lot of what happened in my dark twenties to that. Mm -hmm. but I held that in for a while. I had no one to talk to people. I thought I could go to talk to about it that were actually there physically with me. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's talk about this. And they didn't want to talk about it. They held it in or they had someone else to talk to. And it wasn't three months later after that, that me and high school sweetheart broke up. So the breakup might've been related to that. Yeah. It was more of, I was holding it in and I started, being more rebellious. I wanted to, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And I looked at it as this dude could have lived or died. And he was about my same age. He was about 21, 22 when this accident happened. <laughs> I wanted to go out. I didn't want to be tied down in my thought. That was the right thing. Don't be tied down. Go do what you want to do. Right. And I don't regret it at all because I have an amazing wife now. I have a beautiful baby boy uh -huh. and I don't regret anything in the past. But during my 20s, that was a rough time. So you lost uh, roughly a decade, uh, your your dark 20s. Uh, one of the other guys that I interviewed, Aaron Walker, um, he's much closer to my age, um, probably is my age. He uh, had a moment where he um, – he had built a fortune, and he he didn't really hit so much a, a guy, a pedestrian, as much as the guy hit him. He died. And uh, he ended up being down for five years. Uh, and he, he finally had somebody else <laughs> tell him, look, get your stuff together. You've been playing this game for long enough. You know, he wasn't even at fault for the death. But he still played zombie for, for five years as a result of that. Who or what pulled you out? I would have to say my wife. Okay. We met in 2014. I gave up on girls. I gave up on marriage. I gave up on everything. I was just, I'm going to go to the bar with my buddies and hang out. Mm -hmm. And to this day, she will argue she was not wearing red Utes pants, but she was wearing red Utes pants. <laughs> and she's like, I was not wearing those. She never gave up on me. I've tried. I moved her in after a week or two of dating. And then we, she lived with me for a week and I kick her out and then I'd move her back in and I'd kick her out and then I'd move her back in and kick her out. And 
she never gave up. She was always there like, we're going to work this out. And here we are six years later and it works out. And it's the most emotional bond that we've ever had together. <clears throat> yeah. And then you have those uh, failed pregnancies and that could have torn you up. It, yeah. It, I know it was definitely right. a, it was a huge strain on her. It tore you, you guys up individually. It mm -hmm. tore your heart out, you said. But somehow it didn't tear the two of you up. Right. Why? Again, with her, it's with the failed pregnancies, we'd hit a fork in the road and I'd stray left and she'd stray right. And mm -hmm. then she would find the detour and come right back and she would make it work. There'd be times I would come home and I'd walk through the door. We were, moving, we were living in our new house out here in Saratoga and I'd walk in, I'd walk through the door and grab my cup, fill it full of ice, put a little whiskey in it, put some Mountain Dew in it. And that went on for probably two weeks. She let that go on. Uh -huh. And then I came home one night and it was, it was a Thursday night. I came home, poured myself a drink and she looked at me. What's wrong? I was like, what do you mean? What's wrong? She's like, what's wrong? You've drinking every night for the past two weeks. What's wrong? And all it really takes is someone to ask you what's wrong to let them know this is rough and I'm going through it alone. I don't have anyone to talk to. And that was, that was the start. That was the opening the cover of the book for us. We've, and at this point we've been to get, we've been married four years. Uh -huh. And after four years of marriage, we started connecting after four years, after four years of marriage, our first four years, they were, they were fun. We had fun together. We went on trips. We hung out together. We lived together. We, we were married. We we're doing everything in marriage couple. But after those four years of marriage, we opened the book of our connection. And that was a year ago. You said that was, that was two and a half years ago, two and a half years ago. Yeah. So that kind of answers one of my questions. It, would you say that your darkest moment was the uh, one of the DNCs? What was your darkest moment? So my darkest moment actually was back after the accident, after the breakup. Uh -huh. I had one friend I talked to all the time. If I was having problems, I was at this point in time, I was broken up. I was living the single man life. I made decent money. I had a nice truck. I had my own house. I paid my bills. But you have those demons. You always have those demons that are rearing up behind you. What, what were your demons? I, I've got my own. I, they they uh, they remind me of my thousands of failures. What do your demons tell you? What's what's their favorite line for you? You're not good enough. This isn't going to work out. You're not good enough. And it was a it was a female. My best friend at the time was a female, uh -huh. and she was there for me through and through and through. And I had a I I, I drink. I like to drink, mm -hmm. and I never let it get past that level to where I am hammered. I just I like to drink. Uh -huh. When I'm feeling some type of way and I'm I down on myself or whatever, I'll let it get past that type of way. And then you're, you're hard on yourself. You're hard on everyone else. And she's brought me back from stuff before. Well, I think it was 2000, 2012. It was a year after, it was almost a year to the day after me and my ex broke up, she moved out. So go forward to this night. I had this friend and she was always there to talk to. She came over. I told her, I said, I need to talk. I'm not feeling right come talk to me. She comes over and she immediately tells me, she's like, put the drink down and talk to me. And that sets me off. I am hot. End up yelling at her. She fights. She's like, do whatever you want to do. She's like, I'm tired of this. Slams the door or leaves. So I was 30 beers in at the time. Out of beer. Agitated because I'm out of beer. So I turned to our good friend, Jose and Jack. Uh-huh. And I finished a half a bottle of Jack and a full bottle of Jose Cuervo. 
that that was some and some work. You talk about having a plan. I tried to execute this plan. Uh-huh. I grabbed a shotgun, fully loaded, cocked it, sat up against my fridge in my kitchen, and put the gun to my throat and pulled the trigger. The gun jammed. You had some angels working overtime. This is, yeah. And she sent a text to my parents, and they waited till the next day. The next day they show up. It was sometime in the morning. My back door's wide open. And I'm passed out on my kitchen floor with a loaded gun in my hand. And they had they didn't know what happened. I mean, it was one thing that I put in or put in the trash compactor and put it down. I didn't talk about it. They they ravaged the house, took all my guns, took everything, like we were and tried to protect you. The only thing my mom said to me on my way out as I was kinda waking up was I love you. You need therapy. And that was hard. That was rough. And I, and this wasn't the first time that she's heard it. I, I talked about it a lot before. Talked about suicide. Talked about suicide a lot before. And it's, it's one thing to talk about it. Like you said in your past podcast, it's, you talk about it. Be scared when you have a plan. And I never, I never let on to my plan. That was always my plan was to take the shotgun and that's how I was going to use it. You were going to do the shotgun. I had a friend. I, I moved in my house, my first house I bought in Magna 2009, lived there for a year, got a phone call from high school sweetheart. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's like, hey, did you hear about that suicide in Magna? And I said, no, I've been busy working. What's going on? She's like, it was Steve. That was our next door neighbor. She's like, you need to come home. And I said, boys, we're done. I was the foreman at the time. I said, we're done. We had a big project. I said, if you guys want to keep working, we're keep working. But I'm done. I got to go. Rushed home. At the time when all that was going down, I was running my own I had a small business that I ran. It wasn't anything I was going to retire on, but uh-huh. I can make a couple extra. If I wanted to go out and make an extra thousand dollars, I can go out and make an extra thousand dollars in a week. Uh-huh. And then I'd have some money in my pocket to party on the weekends, blow it all on the weekends and start over Monday morning. <laughs> and I'd still work my regular job and work and do this side hustle on the side and make a bunch of extra money. And at the time I was, I was at the top of my game, physically looking outside, looking in. It was, he's got it all figured out on the outside, on the outside, looking in inside, Uh looking out. I didn't know. And what I was doing, I couldn't be, I was the most unstable person. It's like walking through a hundred year old rope and plank bridge across the grand Canyon. Uh huh. You don't know what your next step's going to leave you. But from the outside, everything looks peaches and roses. Yeah, and the outside looking, and it was amazing. I mean, yet it was constantly. You had, I mean, I had buddies hitting me up like, "Let's go do this." I had girls hitting me up like, "You want to hang out?" Like, let's outside looking in. You're you're king of the castle. But you know, you let the girls in, and you hang out, and you, you got to go. I guess. And they realized real quick, like, this guy is nuts. Yeah. And it, they weren't wrong. <laughs> and you let one in that just won't leave. And that's why I married her. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the would you say then that your your darkest moment was uh, was that suicide attempt? At the time, I would say that was my darkest moment. At the time. Looking back, I don't like to, I don't want to put anything as my darkest moment. Okay. Everything is a growth moment. Okay. And looking back at that suicide, I could have ended it all there. And thank yourself every day that you wake up and look at what you have. You don't have to have a lot. You don't have to have all the money in the bank and everything. Now, looking at it, you don't need that. You need your self-reassurance of yourself. 
your self-confidence. Wow. That is true. Yeah. I I hadn't considered that. I like who I am now. I'm still a nerd. I've, I've, I've got the nerd thing nailed. <laughs> but I know who I am. Yep. And I'm good with that. And I've never been more comfortable with myself. And we could have more money. We could have less money. But I'm good. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you have $1 or a million dollars in your pocket. If you're okay with yourself, you're going to be okay. That's awesome. So you said your uh, your your answer, the, the magic sauce for you was finding the right woman who wasn't going to let you go. You said that, uh, you know, there was one switch in your life where somebody said, hey, what's wrong? Another switch in your life was when uh, another, what could have been a switch in your life was when she said, is when your friend said, hey, put the drink down and let's talk. She was open. You were not. Yeah. Uh, so that that switch didn't happen. But then another one that did is where um, your wife just came up and said, hey, let's let's talk. Yep. What's wrong? Good woman. She is, too. Good woman. Well, I'd like to say, you know, I, I it can't be about the woman. Um, for example, for me, I was married to the wrong woman, but the part of the reason why she was the wrong woman because is because I was hopeless and I allowed her to do X, Y, and Z because I was hopeless. Mm. And I don't want to give anybody the out that if you're married to the wrong woman, you can't get out. You know, it, it's got to come from within. So... What's your answer to that? Yes, you are married to the right woman. So am I. But it's got to be from us. It's got to be from me. It's got to be from you. Um, what did you do to uh, get yourself out of uh, out of the dark 20s? So me and her started dating 2014. We started dating. Mm-hmm. Spooning since 2014. Okay. So we we got a big plaque above our cabinets. <laughs> That's always remembers what what year we started dating. Smooning since twenty fourteen. Uh-huh. And it was it was rough. And we fought for years and years. But we whatever it was that pulled us together and it was her saying, I'm not giving up. I'm gonna be here for you. No matter what happened. And I don't know if that answers your question at all, but she, uh, it's just an emotional click that we had together. Uh We had some rough years and then we thought we'd fix our rough years by let's get married. (laughs) And we got married 2016. We got married, (laughs) went down to St. Thomas, had our honeymoon. Uh First day there on the beach, we drank him out of, a Corona. We drank him out of Kareeb, which is just another version of Corona. And we put sunscreen on once. Nice. We show back up to the hotel the next day and we are both bright red. It's, this is the worst honeymoon ever. We don't want to <laughs> like, nice to see you stay on that side of the bed. I'm going to be over. Cherry red, green goes yeah. in the hotel room. And you, you just grow, you grow from that. We move into a house. We're both, we finally find a house. We're living with my parents after we got married. Finally find a house and we're just broke. And we're living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you look at the bank account. Like I get paid tomorrow. I got an extra $300 in the account. I'm going to go buy something. I'd go buy a pair of pants or a couple shirts or something and show up at the house. And it's like, we got $24 to our name till tomorrow or till Friday or till next week. It's like, I got gas. You got gas. We don't need anything else. Let's just get on. And never once did she get pissed off about it. And she's like, that's okay, but we probably need to work on this. We need to have a savings account. She was all about having a savings account. Let's build a savings account. And I was all about like, spend it till we're broke. Yeah. I, uh, I remember, 
because I do home inspections, I've been in a lot of homes. And um, I remember one of them I got into, and it said uh, 10 rules to succeed in life. And I think number three was marry the right woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, again, I don't want to tell guys uh, that if you're not married to the right woman, that the default answer is to, is to ditch her and go find another one. Because in many cases, uh, maybe the, she's the right woman and she didn't marry the right man. We need to do something about that. Yeah. But marry the right woman, that's a biggie. <laughs> I I know something about that. And marry the right woman for the lifetime. Don't marry the right woman for the moment. Right. So I uh one of my you know one of my favorite questions is um is I go to the darkest moment in your life and I ask you how how it blessed your life. And uh I'm not gonna choose the um the suicide attempt. Because I don't want anybody to think that that a suicide attempt should be had so that they can have a darkest moment that they can climb out of. So let's go to another one. Um, the one where you saw the guy flying out of the car for 30 feet in the air. And you saw his brain. And you talked about how that was rough for you. And you didn't know. You didn't know lived or dead. You know, you, you didn't know. And I'm sure the not knowing, we all want certainty. Mm. You want to know if you made a difference. And the knowing that you would probably never know couldn't have been fun. How was that a blessing to you? I don't think it was a blessing until I knew the guy actually lived. Mm-hmm. It's It was always one of those things that I don't even want to go to window. Like, before I knew, I didn't want to go to Wendover. That one strip of road, you're constantly reminded what happened here. Right. And you never got to close the book. It was an open book, and you never got you never got to know. And it was a blessing when I knew he made it. Because for those two hours, hour and a half, however long, I can't even tell you how long we were on that road before – the accident to life light to when we were finally back on the road again, how long it took. And you're never allowed to close that book. And so until finally years after that, I was able to know this gentleman lived. Mm-hmm. How did that benefit you? It, it really enlightened me that your life can change in the matter of a blink of an eye. And for the first couple months after he passed, I could, this was a kid that we talked every day. Mm -hmm. So Chaz was 17 years old when he passed. Right. I was 32 when he passed and we talked almost every day that day. We didn't talk. And then you, I waited on myself for a a couple months that what if I would have messaged him that day? You know, what if it would have been, hey, come see me or let's talk about this or this and that. Would that have changed events just enough to make what happened not happen? And then you can't you can't think about that. If you lower if you weigh yourself down with what ifs, you're not gonna wait you're not gonna move on. And his dad, his mom, and I, we've had a, we had a good relationship before. There's been times I was working on the race car late at night and I had problems. I'd call his dad up and be like, I can't figure this out. And he's like, no problem. Be right there. That's a 45 minute drive. 45 minutes later, he'd be at my front door. Let's figure this out. There was a time shortly before September of 2020 i was racing in meridian idaho friday night started raining we shouldn't have been on the track and i was chasing down another one of my good friends and we had a caution three laps to go and i think i'm gonna dive it on the concrete that's wet because my car is not gonna spin out on wet concrete spin it out ended up wrecking it needed a bunch of parts and i didn't even have my car to the trailer yet before I had a text message from his from his dad's name's Chuck. 
what parts do you need? I'm on my way. And that started the whole, the whole train of events that this is one of my guys. Everyone has those guys around you, but until you accept those are your guys that you can talk to, uh-huh. you're never going to accept it. And so what I just heard is that is that the, the magic sauce is me and you accepting, yep. allowing somebody to come in and be that guy for us. Yeah. we. You're surrounded by a ton of guys that want to talk to you. Guys don't let – guys don't talk to each other about what we need to talk about. They're there, but until you realize that's my guy, that's not – that's what you need to do. And I would, the best thing I've done thinking about it and, okay, who are my people? Who's in my corner? Is I scroll through my phone contacts and it's like looking at all my buddies' names and everything. And you look at it, who am I going to call that's – if I hit if I hit the call button, who's going to answer every time? If those guys aren't the ones that are going to answer, they're not the ones in your corner. And since the accident with me and his dad, he, he came to me, he, you know, he asked me to drive his race car and that was, that was a tough year. I have to try to drive Chaz's race car in memory of Chaz and fill the shoes that I don't want to fill. There are shoes that shouldn't have to be filled. And that was a tough year. And shoes you can't fill. Yeah. You couldn't fill your shoes either. Yeah. I can't feel – I'm trying to fill shoes of a guy that – I didn't want to fill his shoes. I wanted him to fill his shoes. It was a rough year. We had a great year, you know, racing everything. And for Chuck and uh, Chuck and Julie, it was great for them to – it helped their healing process as well. They just lost their only child together. Ouch. And – for them to come to me and ask me to drive their race car is going to be the most honorable thing I've probably ever been asked to. Well, that's, that's such an honor. Yeah. And that had to have done some things for you. It, it did. It was, I was, I remember that when I got the text, I was at Maverick. I pulled in, needed fuel in my truck, filled my truck up and I was leaving and he texted me. Hey, we're looking for someone to drive Chaz's car this year, and there's no one else would rather have do it than you. And I didn't know what to. I'm in the middle of Maverick right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I stand outside my truck. I put my truck back on my center console and just I blew it off for a second, and finished pumping my fuel, and put it back in, and got in my truck and sat down and reread it. And then I texted my wife. I said, "You need to call me." And she called me and she's like, what's going on? What's wrong? And I read her the text and she instantly starts bawling. She's like, are you serious? She's like, you can't say no. And I told her, I said, I can't fill those shoes. And she told me, she, you don't need to. She said, you're there for, you were the closest guy that they want to fill his shoes. You're there for them. Yeah. Not for chess. I was there for them. And I did that for a year. It was it was a rough year, you know, trying to learn. You're trying to learn a new crew chief, a new team, everything like that. As on a racing standpoint, it was rough. I and it took for finally Julie sitting me down and saying, You need to do this for you. You can go out there and take last place as long as you're having fun. I don't give a damn. Uh-huh. You need to go out there and have fun for you. And that was two races after the first race and we went out and had a great season. We won the championship and we were able to bring home a championship for Chaz. That's awesome. For Chuck. And the emotional bond that we all grew between me and my wife, Chuck and Julie through all year was phenomenal. They're the grand or the godparents of my child. They're the bond we have now is just next level. And me and him can talk to each other, whether it's a phone call or a text. And it's like an unspoken rule. We're helping each other, 
without really even knowing we're helping each other. I'm venting to him and he's venting to me about whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're killing each other. You're filling each other. For full, yeah, we're fulfilling each other's needs. And it's an unspoken rule. Right. That's, that's quite a blessing uh, to go from having nobody to you both having each other. Yeah. Let's say that you could uh, go back and, um, and save Chaz. And now are you, now you are his mentor for life. You get to be his coach. You're going to guide him through everything. That's your new role. You're going to do that based on what you've learned uh, from where you're at right now. You know, he's, uh, you've got a, you know, a dozen or so years on him. What's the first thing you're going to tell him as, as his mentor? Learn from your mistakes. I don't want him to go through life. You can sit there and tell everyone, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh We're going to do it. Uh Uh-huh. And I've often thought about this with our son and my wife. Right. Is if we get to, he's 25 and in jail for whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd be at peace knowing that I gave him every piece of advice he had to make the right decision. And that's the decision he made. Same thing with Chaz. I would give him, I'm not going to tell him to not go do something. Mm-hmm. If you want, as a kid, as a 17, 18 year old kid, if someone said, Hey, don't go do that. You're going to say, okay. And probably go do it anyways. Uh-huh. But give him the information he needs to eight. If you go jump across those railroad tracks, you might get hit by a train. (laughs) So think about it before you jump in front of a train. (laughs) And that's what we're, we're trying to do with our son. And that's what the same exact thing I do with Chaz is you can't tell someone to not go do something. If it's in their mind that they want to go do this, go do it. Give them every piece of information they need to make the right decision. And what learn from your mistakes means to me is go ahead and make the mistake. Yep. But don't keep doing it a hundred times more. Yep. <laughs> Coming from a guy, I've made the mistakes a hundred times, which are 101. You're like, that was, that was not the right, <laughs> right decision to make. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I'm just trying to do that with, with anything really. Just, if you're educated on what the outcome might be, it's probably going to make the input different. I'm going to head head first into this shallow pool. Well, you might break your neck. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to head feet first into this pool. It might, you know. It, break your ankles. That's yeah, okay. You break your ankles. It's better than a broken neck. Yeah. If you can have the information on what your output might be, I've experienced a ton in my life. And I'd like to, you know, with my kid, I'd, he's going to go make the same stupid mistakes I did. Mm-hmm. Whether I tell him, don't do that. Right. Or, yeah, go ahead and do that. But this is what's going to happen. This is a good possible, or not even this is what's going to happen. This, There's a good chance that, hey, you might break your neck. Dive in feet first. Oh, okay. Dive in feet first. Yeah, the thought occurs to me uh, that might be the difference between, um, you know, the authoritarian parent and maybe your wife's mom. The authoritarian parent's going to say, you are not only shouldn't do that, you're not going to do that. And I'm going to hog tie you to your bed until, you know, and, and then there will be punishments. Yeah. Whereas uh, maybe a different flavor of parent might say, yeah, you know, you go ahead and make your mistakes. I'll warn you. If you make them, hopefully you learn something. Yeah. And I think every single one of us can look back to mistakes made in our life, yeah. whether it was yesterday. 10, 15, 20 years ago that someone's made a mistake and they're like, hmm, yeah, I learned something from that. Yeah. In my case, I told you about my demons and the thousand things that they remind me that I did that was stupid. Mm-hmm. And the, the ultimate conclusion is I'm stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, you, you did something you shouldn't have done. <laughs> And uh, I'd like to say that maybe I learned from that, but probably not. I probably just just got older. Yeah. Well, Devin, 
Thank you very much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This is actually really good for it's actually good for me. Why is that? I just talking about my feelings is new. It's a it's a seven month old experience. It's a fresh bottle of wine that I'm cracking open. Uh huh. And it's it's good for me to talk about my experience. Because it never happens. It doesn't. My wife knows about it and you know, past stuff like that, but knowing who for me to listen to your podcast and really realize who's in my corner uh-huh. and who's there for me, it really opens up a ton. Hey, thank you for listening to this manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalyzing. Manalyzing Manalyzing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalyzing.com.